need you to find in your Bible, if you will, Isaiah chapter 57, where we will be reading together from God's Word in just a few moments. Thank you for being here this morning. There's no better way that we could kick off this new week than by spending it together and reflecting on our gracious and kind King. I appreciate the way that our brothers have led us in worship this morning, the thought and reflection that has gone into everything that has been said and and sung, and it is my privilege to continue encouraging you to worship using an open Bible as we reflect on this King that already we have sung so much about. If you're a guest with us this morning, especially welcome. We're glad that you're here. Hopefully on your way in you got a bulletin, and on the inside of that bulletin, on the inside cover, is a basic outline, some basic scripture references as to where we're going to be together this morning. Let me ask you and encourage you to think how many great people throughout history have either described themselves or could very accurately be described by others as powerful and proud. How many pharaohs did Egypt have? Our minds go back to the Exodus, the days of Moses. How gleefully and and eagerly the pharaoh of the Exodus would describe himself as powerful and, and unashamedly proud. How many great people throughout history would describe themselves or be described as harsh and selfish and perhaps write it off by saying, well, that's, that's what you have to do to stay on top. That was most certainly Herod the Great's mindset. I appreciated Dan reaching back in our, our daily Bible reading. We, on Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays, read, one Old Testament chapter and one New Testament chapter. And even as we were going through that very challenging book of Leviticus, we've also just begun reading in the Gospel of Matthew. And so maybe as you read Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, and, and if you were tasked with describing Herod the Great, what better words could we come up with than harsh and selfish? How many great men and women throughout history could be described as violent and boastful? Maybe we think of Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon. Or how many could be described, you think, Roman Caesars? How many of them could be described as cruel and egotistical? That describes, does it not? Many of the great people throughout history, great in the eyes of themselves, perhaps those they ruled over, those in neighboring kingdoms or empires, how many great people of today could be described using those eight words? 
Jimmy read for us at the beginning of our time together this morning from Psalm 20, and we heard in verse 7 of that psalm, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but in verse 8 we heard they collapse and fall. How many great men and women throughout history would have in their own day and age been described with those couplets and yet now they are just footnotes in history. They have collapsed and fallen. But is your Bible open there to Isaiah chapter 57. We understand it's one thing for a great emperor or empress, king or, or queen to describe themselves in those sorts of terms or, or welcome those descriptions for, from others. But the one, you look with me there at Isaiah 57 and verse 15, and I want you to come face to face this morning with the one who is in all reality high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, who, who says when he speaks to humanity, I dwell in the high and holy place. If you're following along in a paper Bible, you might put a marker there in Isaiah 57. We're going to come back there in just a few minutes. Once you mark that, if you'll turn a few pages over to Isaiah chapter 66. And you read with me from verses 1 and 2. It's one thing for human beings to be described as powerful and full of pride. Harsh and selfish, violent and boastful, cruel and, and egotistical. But the one who is in all reality, high and lifted up to the point that he is able to say in verse 1 of Isaiah 66, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? He encourages us to look around. All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be. Herod the Great couldn't say that. Egypt's greatest Pharaoh couldn't say that. Roman Caesars couldn't say that. They could claim that perhaps for a little while. But in the language of where we started this morning in Psalm 20, they have collapsed and fallen. Only one is able to say these sorts of things. He is the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. 
We'll come back to Isaiah in just a few moments. But if you would, at this point, open your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 11. And in many ways, we're just going to stay right here for the rest of our time. We'll take a few quick field trips to other places. But for the remainder of our time together this morning, Matthew chapter 11 is our hub. We've been reading in Matthew's gospel. If you haven't been doing that, we'd love for you to start that with us tomorrow. Lord willing, tomorrow we'll read Matthew chapter 10. On Tuesday, Matthew chapter 11. And it seems very fitting in light of our theme for the year that Wyatt reminded us of this morning. That we spend a little bit of time reflecting on... Just two verses from Matthew chapter 11 because only one, he is the one who is truly high and lifted up, whose throne is heaven. We have 89 chapters between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell us all about his life. But in all 89 of those chapters, here in Matthew chapter 11, is the one time that he, in his own words, tells us about his heart. That's significant for those of us who want to grow in our ability and our trust to say, I am his and he is mine. When he tells us what his heart is like, we don't have to guess. This is what he's revealed about himself. Verse 28 of Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest. For your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In a world where the great among us have sought to be described as powerful and proud, harsh and selfish when necessary, violent and, and unashamedly boastful cruel and egotistical, the one who is in all reality high and lifted up used different words. He said, I am, number one, gentle. Let's take a quick field trip, if you would, to Hebrews toward the end of our Bibles. Hebrews chapter 5. What does Jesus mean when he is describing himself as gentle? It sure does seem to me the best way to understand that is to look at the same word used in a similar but slightly different context. It's still about Jesus. 
In Hebrews chapter 5, the writer is seeking to get Christians to understand the ongoing role that Jesus plays on our behalf. Yes, he was this sacrificial lamb that we commemorated in our observance of the Lord's Supper. But his work did not finish 2,000 years ago on a cross. It didn't even finish as he walked out of the tomb. His work, his intercession for us, his advocacy for you if you are his and he is yours. It is ongoing. It is present and active and living this very morning. I can't do that for you, and, and you can't do that for me. Which is why the writer of Hebrews, for instance, in Hebrews 4 and verse 14, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I want you to think about that. How just after this, in the beginning of what we have as Hebrews chapter 5, fellow human beings are, are described as being able to sympathize. Especially with weaknesses, right? In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1, talking purely about human high priests. Well, they, they were chosen from among men back in the days of Leviticus, for instance. They were appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to, to God. We can read all about in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers how these men would offer gifts and sacrifices on behalf of their, their fellow countrymen before God. And, and those high priests, when they were at their best, could deal, notice the word, gently, human high priests could deal gently with their fellow sinners, with the ignorant and the wayward, because they themselves were beset with weakness. And so, how extraordinary that not some human being who's just puffing up his or her chest and, and encouraging everyone around them recognize how powerful and important and significant I am. We're, we're not dealing with a human being who makes a whole bunch of noise for a little while and then collapses and falls. We're dealing with the one who in all reality is high and lifted up, and yet he is able, Hebrews 4, 15, to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is gentle. He is understanding. More than sympathizing from a distance, he 
empathizes. He is willing to relate. How? Why? Because in every respect he has been tempted as we are. Yet without sin. But if he's without sin, and, and that's certainly not true of me, how can I possibly ever have a relationship with him? Well, you see, he is gentle, understanding, willing to relate, but he is also lowly. Look right there in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 where the writer with this idea in mind looks us in the eye in a very real sense through the ages and says, okay, come on then, let us, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How many millions of people throughout the ages, when they think of coming before the throne of someone who is powerful and proud, harsh and selfish, violent and and boastful, cruel and egotistical, they're not eager to do that. They're certainly not going to do that with confidence. But when Jesus seeks to help us understand his heart, he says, I'm different. I am gentle and lowly, humble and accessible. I appreciate how Dane Ortland in a book simply titled Gentle and Lowly puts it. Meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. He is not harsh, reactionary, or easily exasperated. He is, listen to this, the most understanding person in The universe, the posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms, gentle and lowly. I ask you to mark your Bibles there in Isaiah chapter 57, telling you we'd come back. Let's go back there. Where Jesus here in Matthew chapter 11, telling us his heart, says, first of all, I am. And that opens the door to, you can. There have been lots of powerful, very important people throughout the ages who have wanted to make sure we understand who they are. But not in any way then opened up to you can. There are plenty of very important, powerful, egotistical people who will be very eager for your attention this week. Telling you all about, 
I am this, I am this, I am this, without one mention, one concern of their heart whatsoever about what that means for you. But you see, this king is different. This king says, you can come to me. Is your Bible open there to Isaiah chapter 57? Look at verse 15. We read just the first portion of it a little while ago. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of a... Notice the language. Contrite and lowly spirit. Do you see and hear what we are being told? The one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, who dwells in the high and holy place. wants to dwell, is willing to dwell, is willing to welcome those who come. Gentle and lowly in spirit. Turn a few pages over, Isaiah 66, we read verse 1 in the beginning of verse 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But, verse 2, this is the one to whom I will Look, who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Maybe it would help if we open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew a little earlier. Matthew chapter 8, if you can find that in your Bible. And let's just take a, a brief tour. If you've been following along with our reading, this is familiar territory. How powerful that Matthew's Gospel doesn't begin. Matthew 1, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I am gentle and lowly in heart. He says that eventually toward the middle of the book. But before he tells us, he shows us. You see, this is not just about the most powerful being in the universe saying, Listen, I am, and I expect you to recognize that. He says, I am, and then quickly follows it up with, you can come to me. You can bring your burdens to me. And so in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 2, we have a leper who kneels before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If ever there was an opportunity for a powerful, pure person to say, don't you know who I am? Surely it would be this. 
But Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him and says, I will be clean. In verse 5, it's a centurion who comes forward appealing for a servant who is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus says, I will come. I'll heal him. In verse 16, that evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. In Matthew chapter 9, it's a lowly despised tax collector. Matthew, sitting at the tax booth, Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. In verse 10, Jesus is reclining at table in Matthew's house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners come and they're reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And there are some religious experts who say, well, why? Why does this teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Listen to his heart. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are sick do have a need for a physician. And so I want you to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. Well, who's the I? The one who is high and lifted up desires mercy and not sacrifice. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In chapter 9 verse 20, it's a woman who has a discharge of blood who believes that after 12 years, if I can just touch the fringe of his garment, I'll be made well. And Jesus in verse 22 says, take heart daughter, your faith has made you well. In chapter 9 verse 35, he goes throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Verse 36, he sees the crowds and he has compassion for them. He is understanding, willing to relate, sympathizing, humble, accessible. By the time we get to Matthew 11 verse 19, he is being derided by his enemies as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But you see, that's his heart. I am gentle and lowly. You can come to me. You can bring your burdens. Let's stay right there in Matthew chapter 11. And notice number three how he says you should. You should take my yoke upon you. A yoke was that heavy crossbar that would be laid on oxen to force them to drag that farm equipment all in the same direction across a farm field. How important that we see the full picture here. 
that by gentle and lowly, Jesus is not describing himself as ambivalent and wishy-washy. Well, you just take what you want, leave the rest behind. I don't care either way. You don't know what you're missing out on, sort of stuff. No, you, you look just before this in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20. What's he mean by you should take your or my yoke upon you? Matthew 11 verse 20, he began to denounce some of these cities in the surrounding area where these mighty works, a leper healed, a paralyzed servant made well. It had all happened in these cities. But so many didn't repent. Jesus was inviting them. Let me take the lead. You take my yoke upon you. But they didn't want to turn. And he speaks in verses 20 and 21, 22 and 23 of a day of judgment. Verse 22, I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon. Notoriously hard-hearted, godless people than for you. You, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Why? Because people saw, because people heard, I am, you can, and they decided not interested. And that was a really big deal. Because I want you to listen to me very carefully. When we heard Jesus saying, those who are sick need a physician. What he was talking about was sick with sin. What can only be addressed and cured and taken away, solved by good news. Which is why before he even began to do these mighty works, for instance, in Matthew chapter 5, he went up on a mountain seeing these crowds and he opened his mouth and taught them. By the time he's done in verse 24... He says, listen, you've heard a whole lot of things. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And as he comes down from that mountain, the crowds are astonished. He's teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribe. What's he saying? I am. I'm gentle and lowly. You can come to me. You can bring your burdens. You should put my yoke upon you. You should learn from me. Jesus did not come to give us all gold stars and pat us on the back and say, 
well done, just keep doing what you're doing. He came to say, you see this leper? You see this paralyzed man? That's nothing compared to the problem of sin that infects you all. But there's an answer. I'm the answer. That answer's work was ongoing after he had ascended to heaven. The Apostle Paul, as he wrote to those in Corinth, notice how he wrote what he said. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. You need to learn from him. Not just facts about what he did, who he was. You need to learn to walk in his steps. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I, therefore, Paul writes, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have called. Well, what is the first point that he could possibly make of what it looks like to live worthy of this calling of the one who is high and lifted up. You want to know what it is? Let's start with his heart. Humble and gentle. And if you are willing to come to him Carrying your burdens. Eager to learn from him that you might walk in his steps. Jesus promises finally. You will find. You will find. My yoke is easy. Notice with me this morning. He does not promise your life will be easy. He does not promise that denying yourself will be easy. He does not promise that submitting yourself to another will be easy. Free of pain. Free of hardship. But let's not act. Every single one of us in this room, everyone watching online, let's not act as if, well, I'm coming to this proposition pretty free from all burdens and, boy, it would be a whole lot to put this on. No. Every single one of us is already bearing the burden. The burden of sin. And here is Jesus, a Savior, who is saying, listen, this sin is like a weight that is drowning you. And I have the answer to get this weight off of you. Here is the life preserver. How foolish for someone. A life preserver has landed within arm's reach of them. They're drowning from the weights that they themselves have shackled to their legs. But they say, you know what? I don't want the burden of putting on this life preserver. No, that, that life preserver... Is easy. John puts it this way. 
in 1 John 5 and verse 13. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments, listen, sin is burdensome. Selfishness is burdensome. Iniquity, transgression is burdensome. The love of God is not burdensome. God's good commandments are not burdensome. Because what we find when we come to Him is rest. Rest for our souls. Do you know what that sounds like? I know of no better phrase to illustrate what rest for the soul sounds like then. I am his. And he is mine. So if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, could I just ask you a really pointed question? Who do you want to be most like this week? I mean, honestly, when push comes to shove, who is the real hero or heroes in your eyes? Who, who are the people that you really look up to and, and your kids can tell you, well, dad really looks up to that person. Mom really loves listening to that person. Who do you want to be most like this week? You're going to go to work this week. You're going to go to school this week. You're going to live around people who idolize the powerful and the proud, the harsh and the selfish, the violent and the boastful, the cruel and the egotistical. My encouragement to you, disciple, is let's get the real hero right in front of our eyes this morning. Let's set our minds right there. Let's walk like him this week. But there are some even in this room this morning who aren't yet his disciple. And if that's you this morning, and you know that you need a Savior, you are weary, you are heavy laden, you are burdened because sin hasn't delivered what it promised. And when you're honest with yourself, you know that you are drowning. Here is the heart of the Savior we worship. I am gentle and lowly. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. When people asked in Acts chapter 2 how to do that, they were told to turn from their sins and be baptized in his name for the forgiveness of those sins. And that can be true of you right here, right now. As we sing the words of this verse, if we can help you in any way, would you let us know how by coming to the front of this room while we stand and sing together?